<clears throat> so as we've been uh, chanting these what are called suffusions or uh, often divine abidings but otherwise known as measureless states apamano that which the conceiving mind cannot limit cannot say deserves ought to must how much who's worth it am I good enough cannot do that it's it's beyond mano beyond the conceiving mind it's a uh, you could say it's irrational, it uh, doesn't decide, doesn't determine between you and me, it doesn't make these measurements, it's just holistic quality that um, is an abiding place. Um, as uh, chitta purifies, this becomes its natural abiding place. However it manifests in terms of actions and deeds, its abiding place is in these domains hmm, uh, until there is no abiding till Nibbana hmm. so the Buddha taught from these bases when he, when he manifested as a person in the world doing things he taught from these bases with these uh, this is his abiding place or he would abide in emptiness just, uh, letting things cease and the two are not actually separable, really. Because as long as we hold on to fixed opinions and views about he and she and me and them, then the uh, the mind is measuring. It's sort of it's it's cramped. It's limited. We favour, we oppose, we portion out who we're going to be nice to, or who we feel comfortable with, or something like that. So the emptiness is the emptiness seeing that there are no people, there are conditions that arise and cease. Uh, The the world is actually empty of substantiality, it's just a phenomena that arise and move and change and affect each other and so forth. karma and there's an ending to that. Mm. So... These divine abidings, these measureless abidings, these measureless domains, kindness, the experience of goodwill, a sense of something that swells and just wishes to nourish. Uh, It's a blade of grass or a human being or whatever. It's that sense that rising and wishing to, to nourish. Karuna that quality that discerns pain, hurt, damage, and wishes to protect from that, you know, ward it off, or cease from reduplicating that with revenge or resentment or grief or despair. So when there's pain, the quality of karuna is able to open to that, pain without resistance, without blaming, without uh, getting panicky, without getting weighed down with sorrow. (coughs) So it's a particular widening of the heart to be able to handle the uh, painful and the unpleasant and disagreeable, to allow that to be felt and sensed and move through. These are not small 
means by any um, mudita, the quality of gladness, gladness, the ability of the citta to rejoice, take, uh, be, be uplifted by skillfulness wherever it appears. Say myself or in others, or near or far, alive or dead. We touch into the realm of the skillful and we are gladdened by that, by the actions, skillful actions of people in the past, near or far of one's own skillful actions, or one's own refraining from unskillful actions, or one's own realizations, or one's own recognitions of that was a mistake, don't do that again. You know, Then one is gladdened by that the ability for the citta to be uh, uh, measureless, you know, in this way. And mudita, this expression gladness, is also the sense of, on another level, is the deepening of the realization of the potentials of the citta. Saying, oh yes, this does get stuck, but it has innate strength and beauty. I am so grateful that there is this quality present. Uh, then we're not, we are not bound up just by what consciousness gives us, sights, sounds, sensations, what are the limitations of sense consciousness? We begin to recognize, yeah, within all that, within the, you know, the limitations of the sensory and the functional world, still there is this jitta that can rise up and not be crushed by that. How wonderful. This is a deeper realization of gladness in oneself and in others. Mm. And sometimes you see this in people who have every reason to feel miserable, you know. People who are hurt or disabled still begin to manifest great joy and, and sympathy. Because their jitters have come to terms with that and moving forth. Their consciousness is not bound down. <clears throat> and upeka, the ability to uh, allow our conditions to have the trust in conditions trust in one's ability or the jitter's ability to handle conditions so they can arise and pass as the favorable, the unfavorable, we don't get locked. There's the smooth sailing, we don't worry, we don't feel nervous about it, like things are getting too comfortable here. <laughs> There's the rough patches, okay, we'll abide with this as a weathering through, as equanimity or beggar. So these are very powerful uh, potencies to touch into and there's even a gradation in that it starts with just that quality that wishes to bring forth and then as we meet these various uh, obstacles maybe then the chitta is asked to deepen you know, like with you know being hurt being offended being accused being wrongly treated oh, test 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 where's the way through this you know my mind doesn't get caught in fear and hatred and resentment. Oh yeah, then there's difficult, but yes, it can come through to uh, protecting 
the citta from ill will, rather than defending oneself from other people. And we see the point, then we recognize as you touch into the citta that can experience, you know, discomfort, pain, you know, offensive remarks in the past or the present or from others or from oneself even. Yeah, it can come through it. We feel rejoicing, gladness. Ah, there is this. Equanimity to recognize, well, just keep going. Trust the practice, see what comes up. There'll be difficult places, and but there will be, you know, grist for the mill. And there'll be places where one could just abide peacefully. And that's also the case, you don't need to keep pushing and pumping things. Mm-hmm. So these are, um, so the mind can rest and enjoy its, its release to that degree that is released. All these are things to factor in, not as just social, charitable duties towards other people. <laughs> Which, yeah, it's good if you can do that, but the Buddha is saying you take it deeper. And there's a, a sutta where, uh, in the Sangyutta, those who like to look at these things, Halidavasana Sutta, where the Buddha talks about the difference between the kind of measureless abidings he's talking about and the average in a way the world would see it. He says, well, you know, it's a, it's a story, but I won't go into all of it. Uh, the the uh, main piece of the story is, he says, well, the Tathagata teaches Mita Karuna Mudita Upeka dependent on Viveka, based upon disengagement, based upon dispassion, based upon stopping and ripening in relinquishment. What? <laughs> like many of the things that Buddha said, you go, what? <laughs> What's that going to do? Because <laughs> uh, when you, as you practice, you recognize, yeah, well, that's actually more than just being, you know, friendly to somebody else, which is definitely a good thing, you know. But on the transcendent level, there's a target to teach. It's the first thing you have to do is just disengage from the. The, the, the automatic, the indifferent, the high Joe, so what, you know, <laughs> uh, from the from the habitual, or the ill will, or the I'm particularly towards oneself, you know, well, what can I do? Bitter, disappointing oneself. It's just come off this train, you know, get off the ex- Sangsara Express. That's going to be the first act of goodwill. <laughs> Where you start ladling out to everybody else, you know. <laughs> Get off. Let go. Pause for a moment, you know. Before you feel you've got so much to do and you've got to help everybody else out and you must do this and you've got to get that done in time and people won't like you if you do this and oh, really did you forget about that? Stop. Pause. Viveka. Yeah. Oh. Then you recognize, oh, what's, what's there when you get off the train? There's a sense of pausing. There's a soft widen, just widen. Pausing is the heedfulness. Aphamada. Disengage, viveka. Take it in, soften, widen, dispassion. Yeah. Cut out the pressure. 
get out of the urgency, get out of the compulsion, get out of the opinion about yourself or others. Yes, yeah. Where does that go? More dispassion, more just an uh-huh. chitta begins to steady, and less grabbing at sankaras, less grabbing at volitional formations to do, fix, change, become, remember, regret, blame, or so forth. And you're all to stop. You actually put a stop to these things through withdrawing energy from them. So you can look at Niroda, just the stopping of these compulsive habits and patterns. And this comes through dispassion. You know, you see the compulsive habits and you've got to get wide enough and allowing enough sometimes to see yourself clutching at this and that and the other. Just, you know, that real, I want, I wish for your welfare. You know, I really wish for your wealth. You can do this. Just pause a little on that compulsion. You know, and you're saying this to yourself. You can do this. Doesn't mean you've got to give it up for the rest of your life, but could you pause for 10 seconds on that compulsive action? Or five seconds? (laughs) Oh, yeah, you can. What happens? If you're perhaps a bit disoriented because it's not your personality. Okay, just wait, pause, soften, widen, touch the ground, here you are, feeling those pushes of fear, agitation, desire. Mm -hmm. See them what they are. Do you want to go down this train again? You've got a chance here. You're on the platform now. You could hop on, (laughs) or you could just let this one wing by. You know, you've got hopped on that train quite a few times, right? This is the way you coax yourself out of these addictions and phobias, where it's just an addiction to my cup of coffee or, you know, it's not, these are not sins. It's just a recognition how we do get, you know, things become habituated and then you get, and it doesn't just end there. We get habituated down around our personality, our opinions about ourselves, we keep recreating ourselves verbally and emotionally as I'm only this, I can't be that, I'm always this, I'm never that, people want me to be this, they don't want to be that. Get off the train, you know. <laughs> Where's that go? Does it go to liberation? Does it go to bondage? You know? So then look, we wish for your welfare and liberation. Bring up that intention. You can do this a little bit. Liberation is often just that, just 10 seconds where you've got a chance. Mm-hmm. So you then if you hold that and begin to nourish that space, this is your space of your chitta. Nourish it, protect it. Realize just how hair-triggered this thing can be into another twitch. Protect it. There's kindness. Protect it from more wounding and more more getting stuck. That's compassion. And you rejoice in the potential we have for liberation. If it's liberation from one unskillful or, or habituated thought, that's good. If it's freedom from one 
compulsive habit for 10 seconds, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> Nourish the flame. <laughs> Enjoy. And every time you do that, your choices get a little bit more open. You've got a little more freedom. You know? And so that's the way it goes. You start with just a tad of freedom that heedfulness, apamada, viveka give you. You deepen it with viraga, with dispassion. Yeah. You begin to see, yeah, things can stop. I don't have to act on that. I can. And if I hold that space, some of those potentials begin to get seriously undernourished and die out. I've actually starved myself of self-criticism. <laughs> You know, or, or mostly, it's a little little whiplash comes back now and then, but a lot of it just gone, you know. Wow, not because I kind of, you know, inflated my ego into some way like I'm a great guy or something. I just saw the pointlessness and the ignominy and the stupidity and the compulsion of being constantly critical of myself. Like, get off the train. This is not going anywhere useful. You've done it enough, you know. This is this is the kind of resolution one begins to cultivate. I'm not going to mess with this anymore. You're trying to make that which is measurable immeasurable. You're trying to make a person into perfection. You're trying to make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. It's a British expression. <laughs> it doesn't happen. <laughs> but. Once you stop doing that which you can't do, you know, then you begin to what you can you do. And really that's the unerring and somewhat mind-blowing uh, presentation of the Dharma. The only thing you really could do is get enlightened. <laughs> the rest of it is just, well, you know, 60%, 20%, 90%, not bad, it's there. The only thing you could be a complete success in is in liberation. But we're looking at that not in terms of space or time, but now. Feel the moment when you release, there's the abandonment of future, past, self, other. There it is. We touch into this conscious recognition of that ground. And then, if, you know, if you get more corners because you recognize, well, you know, yeah, but knowing the way the conditions are, it's quite likely that causes and conditions will arise that do cause grasping and attachment. Okay, I guess I better learn from that, roll with it, learn from the next challenge that comes up. But when you touch that into that, you know you're, you've got some more equanimity, you're a bit more confident trusting you know it's going to be we're we're in this birth condition it's going to be a rocky ride but um, begin to recognize also you can keep that process going process of liberation heedfulness viveka disengage viraga dispassion let things come to a standstill see the bits you can stop and then the touching into relinquishment.
Yeah. And this kind of and we cultivate this both with a genuine quality of goodwill and a genuine sense of discernment, specific clarity. This is where the heart quality of empathy and we might say the more cognitive quality of specific clarity, you know, your your smarts, your discernment, your ability to get to a point come together. This is where these two domains are really uh, mutually supportive. We get specific around, well, this bit I could release. Yeah, this bit is really stuck, but at least I can relax my frustration about it. Okay. Okay. Realize I've got to give this more time. Chitter isn't ripe yet. Therefore, ripen it, come into this embodiment, do the nourishing, do the healing, do the warming, do the strengthening, come back again. Try again. Have another go. This is the way you work through karma, old karma. You know where you just can't, you can't, there's no give on this one yet. But, okay, then back to the basis, generate that, look again, review, and see which bit you can do. So it's like we're untangling a, a very compounded mass or a tangle of dukkha, as it's called. And you can't necessarily get the bit that you want, but you can start to deal with the looser ends of that tangled knot. And So always to never give up on yourself is, is the watchword. So this is then this is qualities of goodwill are, are un, um, unreserved. There's always that sense of, of may I be well. May this jitter come forth. So again, it's called the ripening of, uh, in the Buddha's dispensation, the ripening of the complete maturation of the quality of goodwill or loving kindness is called the domain of the beautiful. What? <laughs> it means the heart feels tender and, and, and rich. And that's beautiful. It feels its own richness. This is the domain of the beautiful. The ripening of karuna, term compassion, the protector. It's called the domain, the sphere of um, infinite space or measureless space. Which means that instead of being in that pressurized zone, I've got to fix, got to change, got to make a sense of measureless space. We give space to difficult feeling, which is sometimes the most difficult thing to give space to. Mm-hmm. And it has to be space for difficult feeling, painful feeling. Mm-hmm. And it's often described very very graphically racking, miserable. <laughs> uh, you bear with and you give more space to it. That, so that's, that's a profound cultivation. 
It's called the domain of measureless space. It means difficult, the challenging, the offensive, the rude. Instead of going to that reaction of defensiveness, uh, counteraction, uh, collapse, we abide in a measureless space. Yes. You allow painful feelings to be felt and pass through. Don't. Because what we're protecting the jitta from in that, you realize this is something you can do. You can protect the jitta from the stain of ill will, fear, hatred, misery, despair. This is what can be done. And in the, as it says, you're in the parable of the um, being cut, the parable of the saw, where the Buddha says, you know, if you, if bandits grab you at the crossroads and starts tie you down and start sawing your limbs off, if you if you experience any degree of ill will, then you haven't really developed this practice very much. <laughs> and you could think this is impossible, but actually, in terms of Dharma, it makes complete sense because. It's already bad enough being chopped up. What do you want to make it worse for by <laughs> letting your heart get stained with ill will? Because that's the only thing you can really protect. So it's something kind of, it's an allegory, incidentally. Don't try it. Here. <laughs> it's just a parable. <laughs> don't test me on this one. But the sense, you know, the average person will try to defend themselves from the hostility of others, or even from the imagined hostility. She might not like me. He might. This guy might be having nasty thoughts about me. I don't feel they're so good, you know. And this kind of constant anxiety, or the world might dump me, or I might end up starving, broken, homeless. <laughs> yeah, you might. You know, if a tsunami hits <laughs> the west coast or something, <laughs> or a massive earthquake runs down to San Andreas Fault, yeah, you might. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. You don't defend yourself from those forces, defend yourself from old age, sickness, death. Yeah. Defend yourself from people blaming you. Yeah. being offensive towards you. Well, you've got a lot of defending to do and you'll still get in because it doesn't work. Yeah, it just it, it just seizes the heart up. And uh, we live in a realm of anxiety. We don't live in the sphere of infinite space. We live in the sphere of very, very limited space. Always tightened up against the... Real or imagined or remembered hostility or disapproval or whatever of others. No space. You need to cramp up with it. But instead of defense, you say, well, we call it protection, which is a different thing. Whereas defense always constellates or crystallizes around the possible ill will or the actual ill will or the possible damage, or the actual damage, or the possible crisis, or the actual crisis. It kind of, it always constellates, crystallizes around that. And protection crystallizes around the beauty of the heart. This is worthy of protection. From what? Yeah? 
from earthquakes. You can't do it. But you can protect the heart from fear, pain, agitation, recrimination, regret, reactivity, resentment. Then the heart is free. We must die. We must be overcome by those forces. We cannot defend, but we can protect the beauty of the heart. So it will rise through. And it's very important to recognize that jitter is not bound in a body or by time or even by death. And, you know, maybe you don't get that or understand it, but I'll just leave that one there for you to just put on the shelf and take down occasionally. <laughs> you know, certainly we travel, this chitta travels through realms of birth and death. Certainly it is changed and moderated by those processes, comes into different manifestations. Mm. Protection, something worthy. And so really this develops out of the sense of, you know, Recognize the, the potency we have for skillfulness as something they're worthy of, of protecting. And when we lose that sense of self-worth, or chitta worth, worth about chitta, then you go back to, okay, let's do, so very often things, just do some recognize skillful deeds. I don't kill, I don't steal, I don't lie, I don't sexually take advantage of other people. Oh, good. Take that in, take it in. Not a small attainment at all. Just if everybody in the world kept the five precepts, even, or even one precept, <laughs> everybody agreed on one just not killing, you know, each other, not alone other ones, just not killing human beings, half a precept. <laughs> certainly be a huge... <laughs> Ending of suffering, wouldn't it? So you keep in five. You're you're really out there in the Olympic team. <laughs> <laughs> so don't don't look for just take self respect of that. You know, others may blame me, accuse me, be nasty to me, but I I have this. I don't lash out. I don't get vindictive. Mm. Or if I do, at least I don't act upon it. And so you know, develop generosity. Generosity is of many degrees, you know, obviously material things, supporting others, uh, giving hospitality to others, looking after the sick, and also generosity in giving one's understanding uh, to others. These are different qualities, but basically it's that mudra, turning the hand around, you know, from the grasping of mind to presenting, you know, for one's own welfare. Because then you begin to bring forth the chitta, which can do that. And others may blame me, I will not blame them. Others may accuse me, I will not fight them. Instead I'll develop a quality of protecting my chitta from those tendencies, see what comes out of that. Sometimes it's quietness. One refuses to pick up the lash of blame. So, okay, you know. Okay, I can use some positive feedback, but I don't need the hatred. And then we're rejoicing in the skillfulness of the chitta. 
so you know the Buddha is taking these things to the level of jitta rather than just personal and yet of course we operate through the personal domain you know we operate through the sense of me and you and him and her and so forth that's our vehicle but you really try to base that upon these expressions of chitta as it comes forth And the results are certainly one will feel more assured, more comfortable, more grounded, less pressure. Ah, so yeah, it comes back. Because we it's holistic, chitra is holistic. Yeah. How does this manifest in the personal domain? We have some interesting uh, reflections. Yeah. I was just, no, just considering, because I've mentioned this thing about, you know, the way of paying respects, and I was reflecting on it a little bit, you know, the conventional way. So I, a little while ago, and it's quite quite normal, we were, I was in Thailand, we went on a, a visit, we went to visit some other senior monks, we didn't know them at all, you know, so you roll up to the monastery and you get your little tray of flowers, incense, candle, maybe a tooth words or something small, you know, a little thing you can offer. Because uh, that's your first thing, you come to the monastery, you rearrange your robes, and then you wait, and then, oh, you know, and they come and somebody offers you tea or water or fruit juice, please sit down. And then the, the Ajahn comes in, and then you make the tray, present the tray, he receives it, puts it down, and then he's, oh, where are you from? Okay, okay, okay. And then, boom, he gives his dhamma. Yeah. So it's, it's, that's, that's the way it goes. And you sit there and you listen to his, his bit. And then, then that finishes and then you kind of, you know, well, look around the monastery or make yourself a home or have something to eat or stay for the meal or is everybody looking after you? Anything you need, you know, bedding, everything, okay. You know, they kind of get to the personal level again, just looking after each other. So it's quite an interesting movement you, as you go through this, because particularly the formal bit, he was going to this, well, you know, off of this tray. Sit down, he puts the tray down. So he's monk's about 80-odd years old, and he's kind of a little skinny little fellow, and he, oh, you know, got to watch out for senses, eyes, he says, you know. Can you remember the unattractiveness of the body? Hair of the head, hair of the teeth, nails, skin, skin. Got to keep burning spleen, pus, bile, mucus, flare me sitting there. You know. <laughs> so it's it's not, you know, oh well, it's hardly the normal way we politely interact. Hi, Margaret. Yeah, pus, bile, mucus, phlegms, and ovial fluid, bones. You know. But you know, I think, well, he's actually doing something that he feels is for our well, just to remind, you know, in case you lost it. And it's a sense of, you know, this is our, this is our, our, one of our tribal anthems, you know, <laughs> you go to the monitor, somebody reminds you of the loathsomeness of your body. <laughs> and that's considered good, that's considered an act of goodwill. <laughs> Because his, his body's loathsome too. 
And it's just sense, look, he's got my best interests at heart, so don't get stuck in this thing. You know, this is 80 years old, it's wearing out, I tell you, you know, it's collapsing, so watch out for yours, you know. You're going to die, and uh, <laughs> you're young, you know, you tend to get intoxicated. Oh, okay, that's, that's, his, that's his thing. You know, I heard it before, but that's our anthem. So, okay, great. And then, okay, we've done that bit, and now we can have fun. <laughs> <laughs> now we can just kind of, they call this phrase in Thai, dumps of eye, which means, do that which is appropriate. Is the general signal of like the bell ringing, okay, loosen up. You know? And so by can be taken being comfortable or even happy. The ties tend to like happiness naturally. They're quite a bubbly, um, happy, go, cheerful people. Um, but it really means appropriate. Do that which is, you know, what, what feels fitting for you now? You know, what feels where you settle, where you sense, sense of your jitter sits in your body and you can continue to practice, then do that. Well, that means going and sorting your lodgings out, it means going to the bathroom, where it means wandering around the monastery or sitting and have a, just whatever, to help yourself settle in. And then you can continue. And that's the, that's the gesture. Yeah, so it's a, it's a quality of, of goodwill, though the, the language isn't necessarily that sort of uh, sugary. In fact, it can be quite, you know, unsugary. <laughs> I was considering, he's just doing it for my welfare. Hmm. And it's part of, um, and then I remember this story of the. Um, to change the references, this uh, Chan master, Xu Yun, who was extremely uh, renowned and um, um, venerated uh, master. He lived to be 120 because he felt he didn't want to die until he'd done as much good as he possibly could. Uh, and he did all kinds of austerities and bowed three, t- three years around a mountain and did a pilgrimage across China into Tibet, walking to draw sand. So he did all kinds of amazing things. Uh, but his main thing was just to keep the Dhamma going. And when he was 116, <laughs> he was still trying to build monasteries and stuff. And uh, the, the thing is, the time when it was turning, that China was in this extremely chaotic period, and there was being some communist revolutionaries were in charge at that time, they were quite savage towards the um, old culture which he represented. So they beat him up with iron bars, smashed his body up with iron bars, or bashed him around 116. Uh, and he kind of went unconscious and they left him for dead. And then a couple of days later, he kind of returned <laughs> back into it. And this form. So eventually, you know, what was going on? He said, well, you know, I was out there. Uh-huh. I was out there, because he obviously highly attuned chitta. I was out there in the kind of realm of dying, leaving all behind. Those guys beat me up. Said, you know, if I die now, they'll, they'll accumulate so much bad karma for killing me, I better come back. <laughs> Build a few more monasteries. <laughs> This is someone who is (laughs) 
measureless compassion and goodwill. So that's that's the kind of you know the, these are some of the uh, things one can reflect on. Others may hurt me. Probably will hurt me. Let me down. I will not hurt them. I will not seek their. Uh, I will not harm them. Because it's something I can do. I cannot prevent others harm hurting me, but I can prevent the other. It's just kind of straight dharma logic. Uh, and then you protect what's necessary, what can be protected. Mm. And it's really, although these are beautiful themes, I hope, you've got to also recognize what's, what's the capacity now. You know, and there's a certain sense of both enjoying and consciously acknowledging and warming and uh, not being stingy about the qualities of goodness that you do have. Drinking, you must do this, otherwise you won't get the right medicine. You won't get, the chitta won't be fed well enough to do what it needs to do to meet suffering. Mudita and Mordana is the expression. Rejoice. Yeah. And then equanimity, well, given the conditions, situation, Okay, then what skillful means is possible, considering what this physical form, this uh, psychological condition, this situation I'm in right now, what is possible there? So it's based upon that sense of an even trusting quality. I can't do this, I can't do that, my health is like this, but I can at least do this, and I'll use that. And very often this is uh, uh, something to be respectful of. So there's an enormous amount of respect offered and one needs it to, to encourage to decultivate. Yeah. So some instances, I remember uh, a few years ago I had a uh, man who used to come to the monastery really quite devoted and uh, big-hearted, but would, it was uh, because he'd been so depressed for various reasons, he'd taken to alcohol. So at a certain point he could only manage so much before the, he didn't have enough dumber meditation strength to get through this wave of dreadful, cold, shut-down depression. And he'd just react. And he'd go out and drink to, to just calm it down. So he'd come to the monastery, okay, nice to stay. Very love, very generous, very good, very devoted. Loved chanting, loved going to pujas, loved praising the Buddha, loved that, all that. And loved serving. And at a certain point, maybe go two or three months, and then he'd lose it get drunk and he said you know you've got to stop doing that you know just get a hold on that okay you know try try, try. you know try again and then sometimes you really lose it and you say look you can't you know you can't stay in the monastery if you can't hold this but come back get it get yourself 
work on this one and then when you're ready come back and we're going to start again so you never give up and this person went on for a while maybe about 10 years or so at least doing this every time he'd come back okay try again and every time he'd spend maybe a month two months three months lose it okay go off <laughs> come back and sometimes he'd just run away in the middle of the night because he just couldn't handle it okay come back <laughs> try again you know you just do dana, just do giving yourself, just do sharing, just do chanting, develop that. You know? And if people say, well, you know, why do you bother with this guy? He's hopeless. Why are you taking back again? I said, well, look, you know, he gets to places in his mind where he feels completely hopeless and lost. Yeah? If I don't give him a chance, who else is going to give it to him? You know, if I give up on him, he's already given up on himself. Every time he gets to that point, he gives up on his chitta. If I give up on as well, what do you think that's like? Okay, so come back. Start again. There's no movement in time. We go through that same hurdle, like you take the horse to the hurdle and it won't jump. Okay? More food, more patting, more stroking, taking the hurdling, it won't jump. Okay, more food, more patting, more coaxing, go back, still won't jump. <laughs> Okay, nice GG, down <laughs> Just do that. That's what you do until it's ready to, when it's ready to jump, it jumps. <laughs> when you get to the point when there's a, you see it for yourself, you don't even need to push it, it jumps. It says, what do I bother with this for? Boom, you jump. You're able to say, that's, that's the strength of Viveka Viraga, if you can hold it without getting into. Blaming and criticizing and feeling hopeless and so forth. Mm-hmm. And sometimes this takes a long while in, in, in historical time for that to happen. You know, there was a man who came to a Baigiri and he, I think, he, I don't know what, but he'd been in the military, so naturally he was messed up and he couldn't bear, hardly bear to be with people. Um, so all kind of closed down and with whatever you know, that kind of violence does to people. So just be, he, he could see something in, in the harmony, the non-aggression in the monastery. I guess he saw this sign, having lived with so much brutality, you know, as being in the army, you get brutalized. They ball at you and humiliate you until you get hard enough to go out and kill people. So he'd been brutalized. So you can see in a situation where people weren't brutalizing each other, some kind of, uh-huh. So he still couldn't bear to live with people, so he'd live sort of in a tent or a camper somewhere nearby, and every day he'd come in. He'd come in and he'd just, okay, well, I can, I can hack weeds, okay. Yeah, I can make tea, okay. I can make coffee, whatever. You, know, you can do that, you can do that. Just hang out with these people in this atmosphere, in this domain hang out with these people and uh, next day come again. Mm. You can sit still a little bit after a while, I could sit still a little bit. Uh, next day come again. Uh, just doing that. And then the monastery always, okay, come do what you can. Here's the path trick you to clear this trail. Okay, you know, do this. Sit down and talk. And then he got into cooking. He really loved cooking because he loved being able to cook and offer to 
to the Sangha. So yeah, that's what he did. I mean, cook, sit for a while, talk to people, feel happy, and then go back and try again. Eventually he got throat cancer, so he couldn't, his cancers, and so eventually he could hardly eat himself, but he'd always, I can't eat myself, but I can at least give food to others. Yeah, until he passed away. So that was his little, you know, his little bit of liberation was right there. The liberation from feeling this terrible contraction around himself, which what military stuff does to you, hardens your skin, and fear and aversion or difficult being with others. just began to, that was his liberation, that was his bit just to soften out of that, to come out of that. Oh, sadhu, you know. Is this all just about sitting on a cushion? I don't think so. These are domains. They're holistic. They're to do with how you are everywhere, you know. And the more you make that completed internally, externally, towards people in the past, people around you, towards your own reactions, you know, limitations, you see what what conditions, what pieces that are fruitless and useless can I actually get to be with <laughs> without shutting down? What bits can I get to be just enough to be with it, to hold the feeling of that, the, uh, the pang of that, the reactivity of that just a little bit longer and is it possible to let the heart come through? Now, in a way, there is an action of liberation, but it's not done from the person. The person sets up the ground. It's up to us to set up our, our ground, our dhamsabhai, do what is suitable, set up your ground. And then if you set up your ground, you place your, your mode, your how much time you sit or walk or how much you can bear with yourself or whatever. You set up what situations support that. Then your chitta does does the work. You know, there's something in the heart that rises up when the ground is properly prepared and you, this person can gradually develop the specific clarity to see this, this, this. Wait a minute, this. Wait a minute, this keeps happening. Uh-huh. I keep sensing I'm not enough of this. What's that? There's the ill will. Oh. Maybe I don't have to be something I imagine I should be. Maybe I could just be more spacious around this sense of I'm never enough of this or I, I'm not as good as this. Maybe sometimes these pieces we don't see. So the overall scanning of one's sense of self from a jitta perspective, from an embodied perspective, where are the places where I feel flustered or pressurized or no go or not for me or I can't or they can't make me or whatever. (laughs) Where's that? There's your will. At that moment, you're the one who's generating the ill will, not anybody else.
There's nobody else in your citta apart from your own patterns. So you may think, he didn't like me, he mistreated me, they don't... Yeah, that's a reasonable thought, but at this very moment, you're the one who's, you're the one who's generating the ill will. <laughs> it comes up as fear, anxiety, resistance, but it's, it's happening there, and we don't see it. Yeah. So can you, can you see that? Can you at least consider that? Where are all these pasts and people that bother you? Where are all these perceptions of yourself that you carry around? Where are they? Something in, in your, your sankharas, in your formations is doing them. Can you acknowledge that? First step. Acknowledge. Can you touch the feeling in that? The feeling of pain, hurt, however small, the wanting to get away, the wanting to defend, the need to justify. Yeah. Can you acknowledge that? Can you feel how difficult that is? How tedious that is? How useless that is? There's another possibility. Bring forth sense of respect for the Dhamma. This is unskillful to keep doing this. You can do better. Uh, and some of these kind of small seemingly habitual personal things that's your bit for today that's your bit for now that's your bit that's your current hurdle to just get your horse to stride over and you won't regret it and this is the way that liberation personally in historical personal terms is how it happens it's not suddenly blammo it's all gone <laughs> But so it's threads, threads of compulsion, like multi-tangled skein of suffering, threads of it. And you just take a thread. This one I can be loosened now. And rejoice. It's possible. <laughs>